So it's nice to be back. I was only away for a week, technically, but I missed two Sundays, and it's funny how it feels like such a long time eh, from, from being here. So it's lovely to be here and to just be continuing this series with you. And just as I was preparing, God reminded me of a verse found in Romans 12. Eh, and it, for me, it kind of tied um, my experience with the Beautiful Surrender series together really well with what I was beginning to unravel about oikonomia. And it says this, this is taken from the message. So here is what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. So I just felt like this verse really brings these two themes together. And so and unless we're in a position in our process of continual surrender, we cannot learn how to steward our lives well. Oikonomia impacts every area of our lives, our eating, our sleeping, our working, our everything. Our home economic and how we steward what we have is so important. While I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my home economics class in school, and I was thinking, well, from what I learned there, all I need to know is how to bake a cake. <laughs> and maybe that's not so far from the truth, but it's definitely a, a good place to start, maybe. Um, and anyway, it got me thinking about how our ability or willingness to steward our resources well comes from how well we know the Father. In Genesis, we read of the creation story, how God created the world and everything in it. The Bible tells us six times that God saw what he created and it was good. And then when, when he creates man, the Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruits, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I will give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The world and everything in it was conformed to God's plan and included in God's declaration that everything he made is very good was the purpose with which he created mankind, to have dominion and to subdue the earth, to manage this earth that God had created. God created man with this purpose, and it is both man and his purpose alongside the rest of creation that God says is very good. God places man who is capable of acting in relationship to other creatures to represent God's lordship over his creation to bring its full potential to realization to the praise of his to the praise of the creator 
God created mankind with a purpose, to be in relationship with him and to steward the land and everything in it well so that his glory could be displayed across the earth. The word oikonomia, although it's not used until, until the New Testament, is rooted back in Genesis. It's rooted in God's plan and purpose for mankind, that they would manage their home well. God gave man an abundance of resources for which he is responsible to tend, to care for, and to bring out its potential. But that wasn't enough, or at least that's what the serpent convinced Eve and as a result Adam of. And man's relationship with his creator was broken. Through Exodus, we then follow the journey of the Israelites through their exile in Egypt and through their journey into the wilderness. And we arrive at the book of Leviticus, where the Mosaic law eh, is given to the Israelites by God. And I don't know about you, but the first time I read Leviticus, it was part of a, a reading plan and I was going through the Bible in maybe a year or something. And it's not exactly a book, about, I don't know about you, but it's not exactly a book that I think, yes, I'm going to read Leviticus and I'm, I'm going to be really encouraged by all these laws about uh, cleanliness and unclean animals and sacrifices and all these different things that don't quite relate to us right now, but maybe still have something to do with our lives today. I guess I just didn't really get the significance of it. But as I've spent time uh, studying the Bible and, and just, le just learning about the word, I've discovered that these laws that God created for his people reminds us today of God's standard of righteousness. And regardless of how much we try, how, much, how far we would always be from this standard, we would never have been able to do it on our own strength. Ultimately, the law both reveals to us and acts as a reminder to our dependence on the gospel, our dependence on Jesus to do what we could never have done and giving us what we could never have attained, a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. So how does this connect to oikonomia? One of the things that I found interesting in the law, included in the law, is laws which relate to managing your household. It's, it's nearly more than just managing, but it's using your resources well, and for more than just your benefit, but for the benefit of the whole community. An example of this is found in Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to, right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Essentially, God was showing his, his heart for the poor and the outsider. And more than that, God was making provision for these people to be taken care of by their community. It's this law that when we read the book of Ruth that allowed her to collect grain from the field of Boaz. God's definition of managing a household doesn't always match up with what the world would say is good. Oikonomia is defined as the management of a household or household affairs, specifically the management or oversight or administration of another's property. And this definition for me has been key. God has made us managers or stewards of our household. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him. And he has trusted us, not only with representing him as Lord, but unlocking its full potential, which will bring him the glory. You may have heard people say 
um, or use the phrase about being open-handed with what we have or that you should hold your gifts with an open hand, your talents with an open hand. And it's not actually just a nice idea to live by, but it's a biblical principle found in Deuteronomy 15, verses 10 to 11. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. Um, my great-grandmother, uh, we used to call her Nana, she worked in a big house for part of her life in a kitchen for a very, very wealthy family. Uh, and the kitchen would provide the family with large and quite decadent meals. And very often, because there wasn't, they weren't a large family, there was often a lot left over. Yet the family had forbidden any of their staff or servants to take any of the leftovers home for their families. And probably the main reason is embarrassment for the family because for them to have taken food home from the, their house would have been to say, well, actually, you're not paying us enough. And probably that was the truth, that they weren't paying them enough, but I guess it was kind of custom of the day that they, it, was, it was forbidden. And so, not that that, that stopped my nana, but apparently the story goes that she sewed pockets into her underskirts and is known on more than one occasion to have smuggled out cuts of ham and other um, treats for her family, which was not, not much in the greater scheme of things for the family that she worked for, but actually it made a huge difference in the lives of her own family. In contrast, it was also common for her husband, my papa, to come home with someone he'd bumped into on his way home who was maybe homeless or who was having a, a bit of a hard time or was a hard up, as he would have called it, eh, and give, bring them into the house, give that person his seat at the head of the table and offer them his meal. And he would go without. He wouldn't even allow my nana to distribute the rest of the food across the, the extra person. He would go without and allow the, the family to eat well. So one family had more than they needed, yet held on to everything that they had and wouldn't give any away. And one family had very little, but gave what they had. One thing that never fails to amaze me when I go to Burkina Faso is their open-handedness. Uh, the children are so quick to just share everything that they have with you and, and to want, they want you to be a part of their lives. And one of, the, one of the times I was there, I remember at the sports time, the kids often get given little, it's like little plastic packets that are filled with ice, eh, and that's what they drink as water as it melts. And one of the girls I was sitting beside had got a packet, and she hadn't opened it more than a second, and she hadn't even taken any herself before she offered me some of her water. And it's moments like that that just make you take a little bit of stock, because you think, well, you know, I have access to water 24 hours a day, I never need to think about it, and yet these guys have to struggle to get even just something as simple as a cup of water, and yet she was willing to give me her first sip. Our Western culture is, is on the whole, far more individualistic, and typically we're conditioned into looking after ourselves first, and then our family, and then maybe others. God created family, and family was always intended to be bigger and to go beyond our DNA. For me, over the last few years, this is something that God has been teaching me in, in a practical way, I guess. I have no biological family in this country, but God has provided me with family here. 
God has extended my family from the borders of Scotland to Northern Ireland. One of my friends that I met through Bible college uh, is really, she's taught me a lot about hospitality. She's originally from England, but her family originates in India. And maybe that plays a part in it because as a culture, Indians are very family orientated and really big into hospitality. And throughout my time at college, it was always amazing just to watch how she was able to bring people together. She had this ability to bring a really random group of people together and create what felt like a family. And as I watched, it wasn't really anything complicated that she was doing. Often, she just brought people together over a meal. We had a lounge for students, and there was a kitchen that was part of it. And if you were there and she was cooking, there was always a plate offered. Maybe it helped that she was a really good cook, and she made a really good curry. But ultimately, she gave what she had to serve the community she was in and to love those around her. I think family is key. We talk a lot about being sons and daughters of God and about being part of his family, which is incredible, and it never fails to amaze me that we can call the creator of the world Father. Yet recently, and maybe this is just for me, I've found God has been adjusting my perspective because when I came to understand he was my father, I didn't just gain a heavenly father, but I gained a family. I gained brothers and sisters, and maybe that's more meaningful for me as an only child. But when you begin to view someone as part of your family, it not only changes how you treat them, but also what you would be willing to do for them. It's funny when you look at the week ahead and how when you see your schedule on paper, it looks really busy. Maybe you don't have a lot of free time. So then someone comes along and asks you if if you can do something for them, but you say, sorry, I'm, I'm too busy. I've just got too much on this week. And then someone else a little while later comes along and says, oh, could you do this for me? And all of a sudden you have this window in your schedule. Generally, it's down to the relationship you have with the two people. Jesus said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. This was taken from the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew, and Jesus draws on the Mosaic laws, which were very familiar to the Jews at the time. The principles, this principle specifically is known as the golden rule, and it's taken from Leviticus 19.18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone amongst your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He uses this verse to summarize the 613 laws given in the Old Testament. When we treat others the way we would want to be treated, we're beginning to grasp oikonomia, to grasp how to manage our household well. So where do we start? How do we start? It's not necessarily complicated, but that doesn't always make it easy. It almost goes against our sinful nature who, that tells us to put ourselves first. So the only place this can be birthed is in the presence of our Heavenly Father. In spending time with him, in prayer, in worship, in quietness. When we spend time with the Father, we prioritize our relationship with him. And, and prioritize our relationship with him. We can't help but become more like Jesus And that's what it's all about, to be more like Jesus. I notice a difference in myself from when I have spent time with the Father and when I haven't. I notice the difference in how I treat people around me. And sometimes, and often those people are the people that I already know and care about. So what impact 
will not spend time with the Father have on those that I don't know or care about. Loneliness is an issue that affects a lot of people in our society. And social media kind of tricks us into this false sense of security, like we have lots of friends and it acts as a substitute for genuine social interaction. There was a study done by the University of Chicago which has provided scientific evidence that loneliness can actually have an impact on your physical health as well as your mental health. Loneliness alters your behavior or can alter your behavior and increase your chance of indulging in risky habits such as drug taking, alcohol abuse, and it plays a role in mental disorders such as anxiety, paranoia, depression, and is, known as a, is a known factor in suicides. But investing in people who are lonely doesn't have to cost much. Last week, Neil talked about the five different types of, of capital or ways we can invest in people. And they were spiritual, relational, physical, intellectual, and financial. And, the, and these are taken from the Bible. Now, financial typically would be the one, actually, that's, that people would think of first is when, whenever you talk about investment, but actually it's the least important out of the five. A conversation with someone who is lonely is free. It doesn't need to cost anything. It just requires a little bit of time investment and, really, and relational investment. But the effect that that could have on someone can be amazing, even though it's, some, it's just perhaps a simple conversation. For some of us, maybe that comes more naturally than others. But ultimately, it comes from our relationship with God. Maybe like my friend from college who made hosting seem so simple, uh, maybe that's where your gifts lie. But it still cost her, even though it didn't look like it was an effort for her, it still cost her. It required her to invest financially in the food that she provided, uh, physically in the time that it took her and the exertion it took her to make whatever food it was that she had for for the people she was cooking for. It required relational investment as she spent time chatting to the, the people she was cooking for and chatting over the dinner that she'd made. And very often that resulted in spiritual investment as she would pray with people and share encouragement with them. She used to call it cooking from the heart. And that came because of her relationship with God. When we spend time with him and get to know him, he reminds us of our true identity. And it's from the place of knowing who we are that we can stand and steward our resources well. Our identity plays a role in our life perspective. Do you look at the glass of water as half full or half empty? Or maybe just a glass of water? When we understand our identity, we understand who we are. You don't have to be a part of this church for very long to know that as a church, identity matters to us. And helping people understand their identity is so important. And so for many of us, this isn't new, and it's not something that we don't know. And I know I know my identity, but sometimes I find it easier to believe than others. So I felt challenged that while I was preparing for this this morning, to begin memorizing verses that speak over me, my identity. There's power when we declare biblical truths over our lives. And when we start to memorize portions of scripture, it helps these truths become rooted in our hearts. So I'm going to share some of these with you now, and maybe you want to join me this week as we, I, I, the idea was that I would spend one day and try and learn one verse each day of the week. 
Um, so I've written some down that, that I am um, going to be doing that with. So feel free to write these down and use these ones. Or these are just a small selection of the many verses that are found in the Bible that speak your identity over you. So maybe you want to look for ones that speak into your areas of vulnerability. So yeah, so there's many more. So please feel free to not use the same ones, but feel free to join me with this. So the first one is, uh, actually we used it as part of our Behold series. It's First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. First John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome the evil in the world because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? Romans 8, 14 to 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. 1 Timothy 1, 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but gives us power, love, and self-control. Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special people, you, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And Ephesians 1, 3, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So feel free to, to join me this week as I try and memorize uh, some of these at least because there's more than seven there. <laughs> um, because it's so important to remind ourselves the truth of who we are. Jesus died so that our relationship with our Heavenly Father could be restored and we could, we could live the call he placed on each of us in the beginning, that we might have dominion over the earth, that we would manage our household's will, pointing to his lordship and calling out the potential of that which is under our stewardship. Often there's been a focus on discerning God's call in your life and where God is calling you personally. And it's important to create space in your life to seek God's will and seek where he is leading us. But sometimes, and I think I am guilty of this, is that we overcomplicate it. We have been called to oikonomia. It doesn't matter who you are or where you live or what job you do. As children of God, we are called to steward that which he has given us. And that doesn't just mean your material possessions or how much money you have or the way you spend your money. It's also, although that is part of it, it's also about how you use your time, the gifts and the talents that God has given you as well. And for some of us, that looks like opening our homes, showing hospitality, inviting someone round for dinner, coming alongside people who are lonely, welcoming them into your home, or maybe taking a meal to someone who's ill, Revealing the Father's heart to those who are on the outskirts of society. 
loving them and making them feel like part of your family. For others, maybe it looks something a little bit different. Um, I was reminded of Aspire, and for those of you who don't know what Aspire is, it's, um, it was started by a guy called Mark Knox, and it's a way of supporting young people from disadvantaged backgrounds uh, to succeed in school. Uh, he discovered that statistics show that young people who get free school meals, meaning they're from a, a poorer background, are significantly less likely to gain their GCSEs. So he started this charity as a way of supporting these young people to, to aspire to more than the statistics say that they should achieve. So maybe it looks like that for you. Maybe it's something like starting a new, a new venture. Or maybe it's something slightly smaller, like helping someone with their homework or offering to babysit for, for someone who's feeling a bit stressed. Sometimes it does look like taking a big step, but often it's an offering your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, working, walking around life to God, saying, Father, I know all that I am and all that I have is because you have allowed me to have it. I want to steward it well, I want to see its full potential, and I want it to glorify you. And if you're still not sure what this looks like in your life, why not start by just showing some love? Go out of your way to be kind to someone. Encourage someone. Take someone out for a coffee. Pray for someone or commit to praying for someone on a regular basis. I found, um, for me, that I found it quite helpful to sort of do a, a stop take. For, for me and especially after our beautiful surrender series we know that to gain life we have to lose it but once we've lost it then what well then we learn oikonomia we learn how to manage our resources and our household well so here are a few questions that I ask myself and maybe you want to spend time asking yourself the first is what is my view of God the second is how do I view myself? And then once you've written some things down for those two, ask God, how do you want me to see you? And then ask him, how do you want me to see myself? Because when we get these things in perspective, it impacts our ability to steward what God has given us individually, which in turn impacts how we can offer these services both to those who are in the kingdom and both and those who are outside of the kingdom. It impacts our ability to serve the church and to serve the wider body beyond what we would naturally seek to do. So let me just pray as we finish. And, and maybe if you want prayer for any of these things, then please, the, the t there's a team available to do that. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us and that you call us your children. We thank you that you have created us to be in relationship with you and that you have created us with a purpose to steward what you have given us well. God, help us to be good stewards of what you have placed within us. Help us to manage our homes and our households well, Father, and help us to, to, seek, to seek you and to seek ways of, of impact in the community around us through small and everyday things in our work in our driving to work in our walking to work whatever that looks like father i pray that you would give 
just that you would release new creativity in, in this place, Father, that people would, would have new ideas on how they can show who you are and how they can share the resources that you have given with those around them. So, Lord, we thank you for all that you do, all that you've done for us, all that you will do through us, and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.